Welcome to the Rochester Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. We believe that there is no message more life-changing and more relevant than the gospel. It is our earnest prayer that you will be enriched as a disciple and that you will hear the good news today. Good morning, church. How are we doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. Yeah. Kenny makes it look so easy. And on days when I have to do it, I do my best to not look like I'm dying up here in front of you. I'm like, <clears throat> so yeah, nice work. So I want to start with a little bit of a story, um, and and here's how here's how it goes. Looking back, the tactical error that I made was in choosing to forego the cart thinking that I could just hold his hand as we went into Target, and we would be fine. We had done this before. I feel like we were pretty good Target shoppers. And so we go in, me and my five-year-old son, and I wasn't planning on being there an hour. I was just going to grab one or two things, and then we were going to head out. And he was too big for me at five to carry the whole time. And so I'm just like, I'll just hold his hand. We'll go in. We'll get a couple things. We'll come back. Well, as I go in and I get to the aisle, and I'm looking at the item, and I'm comparing it with another one because I want to be able to tell Kelly, look, I even comparison shopped. And, 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 and so I'm excited. And then I'm like, what do you think, Cooper? And I look down, and I'm like, Cooper? And it is like a ghost town behind me. There's like a tumbleweed. Like, there, like it is just whistling wind. There's nothing. Okay, and I look around and I'm like, Cooper? And so I start calling out a little louder, Cooper, right? L- hoping that he's in the aisles next to me and he'll hear me. And, and I start, and I'm like, okay, well, I'll put this down and I'm going to go and look in the aisle around here. No, I don't. Okay, no, no, no. And all of a sudden, the urgency starts to build because I can't find my son having searched the area around me I frantically headed to the front of the store and I was just going to have them use the loudspeaker to call my son's name and tell him to come up front because his parent was looking for him. And when, as I'm, I'm, I'm almost running, I'm running towards the aisle, I get, to the, I get to the checkout stands and immediately there I see, surrounded by like four people, holding his hands and petting his back is my son, <laughs> getting all the attention. They, he's, he's lost and they are about to get on the loudspeaker to call me up front. I was where I was supposed to be. <laughs> and before I could be judged as a parent by any more than these four, and apparently now y'all, um, pray for a man of God. And, 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 so, and so I'm there and I, and I go up to him and I did that parent thing, which maybe you understand, where you've, you, you, you are simultaneously absolutely relieved and also very angry. And so you don't know what tone to take. And so what you come up with is like a wild-eyed kind of crazy person parent. I'm so glad you're okay. You know, like, it, like it's, it doesn't work. But you're trying your best to say, I'm relieved and I'm kind of frustrated at you because you don't realize how dangerous this was. Sometimes our children don't understand the gravity 
of certain situations, which is why God in his wisdom gave them parents like us to be able to help them understand and to protect them. Sometimes your child puts themselves into trouble and we as parents get stressed out and scared doing the whole half-relieved, half-angry, wild-eyed parenting thing because they can't understand the danger of what they're doing, but we do. And we warn them about the danger of what's out there because we love them so much. That's the best way I can explain to you the letter of Jude. Jude is a parent looking at his children who wants to be completely happy and relieved, but is also very concerned because they don't understand the gravity of the danger that they've put themselves into. And, and, and we're going to be looking at the book of Jude for the next three weeks in this series called Loved and Kept. And it's going to come from the first few verses of Jude, the, the title of the series. And I, I want us to read it together. It's our tradition. If you are able and willing, will you please stand as we recognize the authority of Scripture and as we read together from Jude. It's one chapter long, so we're going to read Jude 1 through 4. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, that's the brother of Jesus, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father, and who are kept for Jesus Christ. Called, loved, kept. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, though I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They're ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow down to you today. God, help us to recognize your son Jesus as our only sovereign and Lord. Help us to tear everything else off of the throne that we've put in that place. God, if we've put ourselves in that place, remove us from that place. We want to recognize Jesus as our one and only king. God, speak to us about what it means to be called and loved and kept. Speak now, Father, for your children are listening. In Christ's name, amen. amen. You may be seated. Now, I want to make sure, and I pointed it out, that you catch those important words in verse 1, called, loved, and kept. Because in the middle of a broken world, with, with lies creeping in on every side, Jude wants these believers to know, and I think wants you believers to know, that you are called by God, loved by God, and kept by God. 
Jude prays in verse 2 that they'll, they will abound in mercy, peace, and love. And then in 3 and 4, he, 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 he begins the relieved but angry, frustrated but thankful parenting thing as, as, he, as he lets them know you're in more danger than you realize. I wanted to write you about the salvation we share. Right? I, I wanted this to be a completely happy message, but I have to warn you to contend for the faith. You're in more danger than you realize. You're in the middle of a battle zone and you didn't realize it. You may, you may not have been aware there's a war going on around you and you're going to be called upon to contend for the faith you hold. Now, contending for the faith is not a matter of attacking others. It is a matter of protecting and defending what it is that you know is true. It's not done out of hate, it's done out of love. Okay, a lot of fighting is done out of anger or hate or coercion. That's not the kind of contending that we're talking about. When we talk about contending for our faith, it's done, it's motivated by love. And especially, this is the wild part, it's almost like it, if it's not in your Bible, it should be love for your enemies. The Bible says elsewhere, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the dark powers and principalities. Okay, our, we need to remember who our enemy is. And our enemy isn't the person who simply disagrees with a position we tend to think is very important. Okay, my enemy is the devil. The devil, the one who is the enemy of the kingdom of God. That's our enemy. And our problem is that in modern days, we often say, well, I don't know that I believe in that whole devil thing. The problem is if you remove the devil as your enemy, you start to look for another enemy and I tend to find y'all. Okay, you're not my enemy, even if we disagree about some things. The devil is the enemy, and we are making sure to protect the faith from the work of the devil. We contend for the faith because we love God's glory, and we love God's bride, not because we like to fight. We speak the truth in love, Ephesians 4. Because we have to keep both love and truth together. When I first wrote that sentence, I wrote that we have to keep them in tension. But that wasn't the right phrase because love and truth are not in tension. I'm not sure I understand. I don't care if you understand, Siri. <laughs> if they can prove me that she has a soul, then I care. I'm not worried if she understands, I'm worried if y'all understand. All right, love and truth are not intention. But we do need both of them. Some of us love to be truthful, but can't do it lovingly. Some of us love others so much that we don't want to say the truth because we're worried that we'll upset them and change the way they feel about us. But we got to love so much we'll be truthful and we got to tell the truth in a way that shows that we love them. This is how we're going to contend for the faith. Now what is the faith for which we must contend? 
He says, first off, these people are coming in and they're perverting the grace of God into a license for sin. Grace being forgiven by God does not mean you can go and do whatever you want. He says they're, 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 they're turning grace into a license. That makes grace cheap. And, and y'all have heard this before. Grace is free, but it's not cheap. Okay? The next thing he says is a direct way to counter that idea that grace is somehow cheap. Is he says very plainly, they are attacking the sovereignty and lordship of Jesus. He says, they deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. What we contend to believe is that Jesus is our only sovereign and Lord. The only king we have is Jesus. Some of the most dangerous false doctrines come from the urge or the propensity that we have to erode the sovereignty and lordship of Jesus. Here's the deal. Most of them don't say Jesus is not king. Most of them don't say that out loud. Okay, it's not that Jude is writing to this church because if you go into their service, you'll see banners up on the wall that say Jesus is not king. Their their version of Kanye West doesn't release an album called Jesus is not king. All right, they would say Jesus is king, but how they live suggests that they're on the throne, not him. When, when they encourage people to live in ways that deny the kingship of Jesus, that's where the error is. Okay, if at the end of your doctrine, you are wearing the crown, you need to repent. And what we find if you were to read Jude 5 through 16 is that there are some people who claim to be Christians, but who seem to find themselves on the throne. They claim Jesus as Savior, but they fail to submit to him as Lord. I want him to forgive me, but I don't want him to boss me around. And so the question is, is Jesus the king in your life? And if not Jesus, then what? Popularity? Success? Money? Pleasure? What's the king? What's sitting on the throne in your life? And and sometimes we justify a lack of holiness by flippantly appealing to the love and grace of God. Here's, Here's where the rubber meets the road. For you as a disciple, does Jesus lay claim on every part of your life, from the bedroom, to the workroom, to the break room, to the classroom, is Jesus king in every space in your life? Yeah. Amen. I've got one. We're about to change the world. 
And Jude begs you to not hear legalism. Well, Adam, if you're demanding holiness everywhere, it sounds awful legalistic. No, but Jude is going to see, Jude knows grace is not opposed to effort. You're supposed to try not to sin. You're supposed to try and honor God in all that you do. You're supposed to be godly and good. Grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. Not opposed to effort, but it's opposed to earning. You see, Jude doesn't want you to hear legalism in this call for purity of belief and practice. The question is not one of perfection. The question is one of authority. Who is king? It's not about perfection. It's about who is king. The question is one of authority. And all of us at one point have ignored this king. Can you confess that? Here's good news. Gospel today. This king has never ignored you. The one who has called you, loves you, and will keep you. Called, loved, kept. And that'll change you forever. You see, true believers are called. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. As a prisoner of the Lord, Paul writes, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You are called by God. If I asked you today, how many of you feel called? I, don't, I, I will here in a second, but you have been called. Is God calling me? Yes. You are called by God. Now the Greek word for calling, it's pretty simple, kaleo. All right. Now, that word is really important, but get this. It is the root word for 16 other words used in your New Testament, some of which are really important. For instance, you may be familiar, some of you who are a little more advanced, with the word paraclete, which is a reference to the Spirit of God, our helper, our counselor, our comforter. That's parakaleo. Okay, how about, how, about, how about this one? Um, oh, parakletos is the advocate. Okay, how about ecclesia, church? That's ek out of kaleo, klesia, it comes from kaleo, which means those who are called out. Okay, that, these are important words. To be called matters. Okay, and, and, and now I ask you, how many of you feel called I wish every hand would go up but the truth is people are like well I don't want to lie to you Adam and I, and, 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 and I thank you for that and I know sometimes you don't feel called now often when we talk about calling we speak of it in kind of two ways and to do this I'm going to Oh boy, I'm going to oversimplify and modernize because that's what I'm good at. Um, <clears throat> and so, so the first way that we speak of calling is we speak of a group text. Okay, imagine it in terms of a group text. God has sent a group text. Now that's where everyone gets the message at once. And God sends a group text to everyone in the world in the person of Jesus and the announcement of the gospel that says God has called everyone. 
to accept Jesus as Lord and to be redeemed. God has sent a universal call to believe the gospel. Okay, so that's, that's your group text. Everyone got the group text. When Jesus showed up, the whole world got the group text that God has called them to believe. Okay, the second way we've talked about calling is more like a specific text. God didn't send it to everyone. God just sent it to me. And I get a text from God and it says, hey, I've got a direction that I think you should go. And it's my choice as to whether or not I'm going to answer. Here I am. No limits, no distractions. Please send me. Or if I'm going to say, I don't know if I want to trust this leaning right now. I'm not going to do it. Not everyone got that text. That one was just to me. And everyone gets them, but not the same one. Okay, so there's the group text and then there's the individual text. And that's the way we tend to talk about calling. And and there's a lot of good in that. But when Jude uses this term, you are called. I think he means something other than a general invitation to become a Christian. And something different than a personal nudge from the Spirit to act. I believe that Jude is really digging deeper here. I think he's going, going into to heart level, gut level, soul level identity. The self-assurance that God has claimed you. The fundamental identity that results in trusting the Lord Jesus who is enthroned forever. That that's who I am. This is believing in your heart as Romans 8, 28 through 30 says it. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. There is nothing, we believe that there is nothing that is able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, this is the belief that your identity in Christ, your call is so firm that God, you know, will finish what God has started in your life. Philippians 1.6. This is what it means to be called by God. Now, I know that appealing to Romans 8, 29, and 30 is a little risky. All right, because when we read Romans 8, 29, and 30, a lot of us get a little uneasy with some of the language used there. In particular, the language of foreknowledge and predestination. Okay, that, that, those become tough theological terms. And, and to be honest, talking about this is not easy. However, I'm not here to simply do what's easy. we're going to talk about the weightier, the meatier portions of Scripture so that we can best follow Jesus. Now, one of the reasons I think it's so difficult for us to discuss foreknowledge and predestination is because over the centuries, these, these terms have come to carry more theological baggage than I think 
the original authors intended when they used these words. I think they've come to mean something weightier and more fixed than they were when they were originally chosen. And here's one of the ways I can point that out. Here's one of the ways I can say that. What I mean is... um, We almost always import into these terms with foreknowledge and predestination a final and ultimate sense regarding salvation. Okay, my eternal well-being, heaven and hell. So that to speak of predestination is always to speak of heaven and hell ultimately. Okay, that we've, we've, we've made these words synonymous with that. Often, when your Bible talks about God's predestining things, it has more to do with historical covenant faithfulness, okay, the history of what God is doing and connecting to that and fulfilling that, and your present response to Jesus. Okay, I want to I be clear that you caught that. We have come to think of it only in terms of future destination, But the way it's used in your Bible is to talk about God's past and faithfulness to what God has done in the past and your present response to God. Catch that? So I want to try and explain a little bit of this by pointing out a few things from Romans 8, 28 through 30 that I think are important to recognize. And that's first, God called what belongs to God. God called what belonged to God. Okay, if you, if you, if you, if you read it closely, it said, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be firstborn. And on those he predestined, he called. God called what belonged to God. Calling is when God presents to you what God has prepared beforehand. Calling is when I see in real time what God has been doing for me in eternity. Okay, look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. And this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. That calling is when we find out in real time what God has been doing in eternity. Okay, now this means that you're significant. You are significant because you don't put that much time and preparation into things that you think are insignificant. You see, the more you come to realize who you really are, the less you're willing to be who you were. If scripture is any faithful witness at all, it consistently affirms that God's call will disrupt your life. Amen? Will mess up your plans. Will change your direction. 
God's call has a way of doing that because once you, once you know who you really are, you can't be who you once were. The second thing other than God called what belonged to God is God also called who God wanted. God called who God wanted. All right, I want to, I'm going to illustrate this. <clears throat> I'm going to illustrate this, okay? Camden, come up here on stage. This is when they get nervous. All right, Camden, good to see you. Nice to see you too. Awesome, awesome. We got Camden in the shot, okay? We're good. I'm going to ask them a question real quick. Why did Camden come up here? Okay, because I called him, right? Okay. Why didn't Bryn come up? Because I didn't call Bryn. I called Camden. And, and, and here's the deal. Camden came up not knowing in advance that I had called. Did you know in advance that I was going to call you? Nope. Okay, I didn't tell him in advance I'm going to call him. I called him. Camden came up because I called. Now, I had planned to call him up. I had a purpose. I knew what I was going to do when I called him. But I didn't make him come up. I called him. Based on the work I had put in, I knew I'm calling Camden. Camden's going to, but, but Camden still came up without knowing any of that. Calling is when he was presented with the plans that I had made before he even knew about them. Do you see it? All right, Camden, thank you. You see, here's the deal. You don't call people that you don't want. People may wander up to you that you don't want around. That happens sometimes. But you don't call people you don't want. But preacher, you said he called everyone. Sure did. I think you want Bren. I didn't want you to feel like I was making the, the statement that you weren't wanted. All right. <clears throat> You don't call people you don't have a plan for. You call people that you have a purpose for. And here's the deal about it. You have the purpose before you ever called the person. You have the purpose before you ever called the person. So who are you that God would put in so much work preparing for your call? I think of Jeremiah, I, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, I ordained thee, I sanctified thee. Whew. Calling. That's what Jude is talking about. You see, when it, when it comes down to calling, this is, this is where it all lands and it comes home. The who is more important than the what. The who is more important than the what. Paul, you and your team can come on up. You see, calling is more about who you are than what you do. 
identity precedes activity. All right, who you are comes before what you do. The Bible never once, and y'all can check me on this. We got some pretty good Bible scholars. Um, man, we've got some really good Bible scholars. Keith, I see you. Beth, I see you. I'm just going to go with you two right now. Does the Bible ever talk about calling as a career? Not once does it talk about professional career when it talks about calling. Now it says that some will be evangelists, some will be, I, I get that, but, but when it talks about calling, it's not about the what, it's about the who. Okay, it's not about your career, it's about, when it talks about calling in your New Testament, it's talking about living like Jesus. Your calling is not about what you're doing so much as it's about who you are becoming. Calling isn't primarily something that's going to happen to you and what you're going to do in the future. I want to do these big, great things. It's about your faithfulness to Jesus right here and now. And the size of your assignment never determines its importance. Never once. One of the coolest stories you can see in Mark chapter 10, James and John show up. They, sit, they come up to Jesus and they say, hey, can we make sure when you come in your glory, can we sit on your right and your left? We want to be important. Chapter 11, Jesus is entering Bethany, what we call the triumphal entry. And it says he sends two disciples to go and get him a donkey. He gives them a special assignment. It doesn't say it's James and John, but I kind of hope it is. Because here are these two thinking, oh yeah, Jesus picked us. We asked him if he'd make us important. He picked us. And then they find out what they got to do. And they're like, wait, we're on donkey duty? <laughs> yes, you are. Go find me a donkey. Right? That, that it's not about the size of the assignment, the publicity of the assignment that makes a calling valuable. That never determines its importance. With God, small stones can kill big giants. With God, small lunches can feed thousands. You are chosen and called by God. And whatever you do with that calling, do it all to the glory of God. To find your calling, start with the who. Be faithful to Jesus today. Start with the who. If you don't know Jesus yet, if you haven't given Jesus your life, if you haven't said, Jesus, you are on the throne, I am no longer going to usurp your authority and your sovereignty. Your lordship will be, the, 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 you're the only one going to be on the throne of my life. If you have not yet gotten off the throne of your life and let Jesus take his rightful place on the throne of your life, then I want to urge you to be baptized today. To make Jesus Lord of your life. To surrender yourself to him. That's the step to calling. That is answering the first call. Okay, he called you into being, so technically that was the first call. Now he's calling you into Christ. And then he's going to call you into purpose. If you haven't yet said yes to Jesus, do that now and start with the who. Amen? Amen. If you need him, come forward while we stand and sing together.
Rochester Church of Christ is called to live God's gospel, truth, and love with the world so that we all may find life together in God. We are not a perfect people, but we long to live in ways that help people see God and the kingdom more clearly. To learn more about our family of faith or to connect with us, visit www.rochestercoc.org. Remember, you are loved and chosen.